0: Right. please rise for the scripture lesson. Our scripture today comes from the book of Revelations, chapter five. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice,
1: Thank you, Lexi. So we meet again. Um, We need to stop meeting like this, I guess. Um, So uh, as you've been with us uh, over the uh, past few weeks, we've been going through the Book of Revelation in our sermon series. As you remember, we first look at the seven letters from Jesus to the seven churches in Asia. We we'll look at each church's condition, what that, uh, what the message of Jesus is to that particular church, also obviously to us as a church here. Now we we'll turn the page to uh, chapter four and five, in the book of Revelation. Here we're invited into the heavenly throne room of worship. Uh, as you remember in chapter four, John is invited into heaven to see what it's like, actually, the, what's going on in heaven when when, when uh, worship is happening, which is. All the time, and he hears the uh, all of creation, uh, the elders and the, all the creatures saying, "Holy, holy, holy," is the Lord on the throne. This is a very, very solemn, joyful, a weighty occasion of worship, which is as we uh, as we've been saying throughout uh, our sermon series. As we peel back the veil of history, we see the reality behind what we see with our eyes and uh, hear with our ears. What we can see. The reality behind all history. What's going on in heaven? So today I want to meditate with you uh, in chapter five on the same worship scene, but from a little different angle. Uh, as as you noticed probably as Lexi was reading, that this time in the center of the worship is a mysterious figure. There's a lion and there's a lamb. You know, chapter four we have God Himself on the throne being worshiped. Now we have this lion, and the lamb, and this figure appears at. A, excuse me got really loud, uh, the, the figure appears uh, at, at a place where a crisis is happening in heaven, crisis in heaven, there's something in heaven that happened that n- n- no one else or, you know, in all history can, can solve, so here we come, come across a crisis, so here's what we, we're going to do as we meditate, we're going to look at the crisis, what it, what it is, and how it's resolved, it's a solution, and what that really means uh, for you and me. So first, the crisis, as many of you have probably already noticed, there's a strange scene, really. You know, if you see God, if you meet God face to face, you would expect joy, you would expect uh, happiness, You, you expect a lot of positive emotions, you might say. But here you see John weeping, the Apostle John weeping in heaven in the presence of God, in the presence of all the angels. Why is he weeping? He's weeping because in God's hand, uh, there's, a, there's a scroll written on the front and back. It's sealed with seven seals and no one, as, as we just read, no one's worthy to open a scroll. And you say, what's the big deal? It's Just a little book? No. Um, commentators would tell you the scroll actually is the eternal redemptive plan of God that would have unfolded if the seals were open, but now they're sealed. The, the book is closed. That therefore, there's a, you might say, a danger that darkness may win. There's a danger that God's redemptive plan will not play out. John is saying, oh no, I'm witnessing the heavenly worship, but how can we be part of it? How can this be true of us because God's redemptive plan is not playing out? Something's wrong. So he weeps. He weeps loudly in the presence of God. So then what do we do? No one's worthy. He looks around the creatures that you remember, the full living creatures, the elders who represent the whole of creation, no, no one's worthy. The angels who are singing in the background, no one's worthy. No one's worthy to open the scroll. No one's worthy to unfold God's redemptive plan. And then so that's the crisis. That's where we are. So how do we, how do we go? Where do we go from here? Here you see an elder uh, coming to John and says, weep no more. Behold, a line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. Here's verse 5. The elder points John to a, to a figure who is a lion, the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And commentators will tell you that that is actually a reference to the Messiah. As, as you remember, we talked, uh, we, we, we walked through the book of Isaiah, some of the uh, songs of Isaiah talking about the Messiah, the prophecies of the Messiah. John, uh, the elder says, John, this Messiah is here. He is able to open the scroll. He's a lion of the tribe of Judah. But as, but as John's looking, as you're looking, you notice he looked to the center, there's a lamb. You say, well, I thought he said there was a lion. Now there's a lamb. W- which is, is it a lion or a lamb? Uh, I think that here we come to a beautiful paradox, one of the many, many beautiful paradox of the Bible, which is he's, he's both, he's both a lion and the lamb. You don't have to choose. He's both the Messiah and also the sacrifice on your behalf. And you say, well, I know you're talking about Jesus. Yes, that is Jesus. But let's think about it for, 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 for a little more on this. Uh, Don Carson had written a uh, meditation on this. On He actually was thinking about Acts chapter 9 when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus. He did a little thought experiment. You might want to do it with me here. Think about it. Paul, who was a Pharisee who had self-righteousness all his life, he memorized the Old Testament. He had all the Old Testament in his head. He knew all the prophecy of Messiah, right? So, so what was going through his mind then during the three days when he was blind, after he saw the risen Jesus? What, what, was, what could it be going through his mind? So here's Paul in the darkness thinking, okay, I know the Old Testament. The Messiah prophes- prophesied by Isaiah. By, by all these Old Testament prophets, the Messiah conquers, the Messiah wins. The Messiah is the triumphant king. The Messiah does not die. So to say that there is a crucified Messiah, for these Christians here to, to claim that there is a crucified Messiah, that's contradiction in terms. That doesn't happen. You know, whoever uh, as you know, in Book of Deuteronomy, that says whoever is hung on a tree is cursed by God. So when Jesus died, he must be cursed by God. He can't be the Messiah. He can't be the one that conquers. But then, he met him on the road to Damascus. He met the resurrected, glorified Jesus. All of a sudden, Paul's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. If if Jesus rose from the dead, if he's glorified and resurrected now, if he met me on the road, that means God vindicated Jesus. That means that he's not cursed. When he hung on the cross, he was not cursed. He did not, you know, when he was up there as a sacrificial lamb, he did not die for his own sin. So what is it? It, it can only mean that he's, he's, he died for someone else's sin. He died for my sin, for your sin. The Lamb of God who died is the line from the tribe of Judah, but he had to die because you and I have a need of a champion, of a savior. So this is what is at the center of worship in heaven. It's God himself, but also the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sins. So that as you think through this, you say, oh, OK, I see. That now it's starting to make sense why that he is lying. And the lamb, he's, he takes away your sin. And he's also the one who conquers, as you read here, the one who conquers. So what does that, what does that really mean? So I want to spend some time here. Let's think through what that means, though. Now we see in heaven, John weeping, as we talked about, that the redemptive plan of God may not be unfolded. There's a crisis in, in heaven. But there is a solution. Someone came, the lion and the lamb came to open the seals through His blood, so that God's plan can be unfolded. Now you are within that plan, if you're in Christ. So what does that mean? Here, here are a few things I, I want might you know, you, us to think about. One is, um, as you know, uh, we all wanted to, to be found worthy. We all wanted to know that we're good enough. Don't we? I mean, you want to know you're good enough. Madonna want to know if she was good enough, uh, she, <laughs> no, I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so, so uh, one time Madonna said that, um, she said, uh, she looked back to her early, early years, when, before she was the big star that she is now, she was always anxious, and so she told the interviewer one time, she said, I mm. want to be somebody because I felt like a nobody. I really want to be somebody, I felt so I had to work really, really hard so that I feel like I'm, I'm somebody, but, You know, as uh, Jim Carrey would tell you, that I wish everybody could be as successful, as wealthy as I am. No, and that doesn't really mean anything. I I still don't feel fulfilled. I still feel empty. So we don't feel like we're worthy, and and you're right, (laughs) we're not. But here, in this passage, you hear the repeated saying, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb to take away the sin of the world. Worthy is the Lamb that He is worthy. He's the only one that is worthy to not just take away your sin, but make you to be like him. That in him, God looks at you as if you were Jesus. He looks at you as if you were as beautiful, as loving, as gentle as Jesus was and is. God looks looks at you as a precious child. He doesn't look at you as someone who is unworthy. Your worthiness can only be found in Christ And, and go to him for that. Another thing I want you to notice here, though, is there's a very uh, astonishing claim here. Uh, If you see here um, verse, uh, oh, I lost my place here, where it says, um, God's redeeming a people, for himself, from every tribe, language, nation, and people. Here is a claim that people from all the races, different different places will come to worship God in one place. The heavenly worship is supposed to be a multi-ethnic worship. Therefore, as a church on earth, as a representative of the kingdom, we are supposed to be that as much as we can in our, in our time and place. Are we a church uh, who is willing uh, to go through all the maybe, you, you might say, uncomfortable cultural differences between different people to build a church, not just for ourselves, but for all races, for all different ethnicities, to a place where people, people can look at us and say, wow, that's the place I want to be because that's a pointer to the heavenly, heavenly worship. Uh, lastly, I want to close with this. Um, one of the old writers, John Owen, uh, he wrote a lot about the glory of Christ, med- meditating on what it means that Christ has died for you and rose for you. And one of the things he said was this, you know, think about it. If you have, if your spouse, someone you really love your spouse, your child got some recognition, you know, uh, your spouse has won the Olympics, say, or your child has just won the, the best, uh, you know, the math comp- in math, math competition, where your child just won a championship, and with their football team, you'll be really proud. You'll be really happy, not because of what you've done, but because what they've done. Because they have been recognized, they have been glorified, they have been uh, uh, hailed as as a, as a, as a uh, victor or uh, the best in what they do. Do you do that with Jesus, though, your older brother? Do you do that when you see Him glorified? Do you see? Do you do that when you see Him die for you? And rise for you do you see he is glorified in heaven now the resurrected glorified christ do you rejoice on a daily basis that he is there he's receiving glory that he's du- that's due to him john Owen says we should be more and more meditating on the glory of christ so that we may be proud of christ be thankful for him and we go to him because he has died uh for us and he rose from us let's pray um Dear Father, we thank you for sending the Lion and the Lamb to die for us and rise again for us so that in him we may have a champion to overcome darkness, overcome our death and sin so we may be with him forever. It's in his name I pray.
0: Amen.